Just transition, let's get some energy in this room. So it's good to have you guys. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Looking forward to what God's going to do in this time uh, that we share together. We in- ended uh, our series on finances last week, ABCs of Financial Freedom, and we're going to kind of just have, have a couple of weeks here bef- uh, between now and Easter. That's, uh, every week is a little bit different. So if you're used to us diving right into a series, the next couple of weeks aren't going to be that. So just enjoy just kind of a break from sometimes that can even get monotonous, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in our time together. Hey, if this is your first time at Fathom, we're really thankful you're here. We're really grateful. We don't take it lightly. Um, we don't see ourselves as co- in competition with other churches in the neighborhood or in the city. We're a part of the kingdom of God, um, but we, we do want you to be where, where God's planted you, and when he plants you, it's, it's when you're rooted in that, that you really have an opportunity to flourish. And so if you've just been checking us out and maybe you just kind of have an arm's length distance, I'd encourage you just to go deeper and, and make this home, make this family. It's when the fruit really starts coming. Uh, and so if this is your maybe your first, second, third time, we just want to tell you, welcome home, welcome home. Today is DNA sessions, today three to five. It's kind of the starting point for everybody here. It's not like an old school membership class. It's just for a way for us to introduce ourselves and, and get to know you and, and get to know one another. So today, three to five, uh, right here in the coffee bar. Again, next week, how many of you guys are making guac or queso or salsa, anybody? All right, we got some competitors in the house. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. The free taco bar outside, out in the big lawn uh, next weekend. Hey, it's not only going to be a super fun day, we're going to be doing storytellers, which is some of, like I hear it's some of your favorite day where people just get up here on a couch and we just, it's an informal kind of testimony time. So that's going to be really cool next week. And then we're going to have a record baptism next week. That's like, come on, that's amazing. Like, come on, that's amazing. We're going to have a record. I didn't set that up, I think, properly. I caught you off guard. Like, we were talking about tacos. And then baptism. <laughs> um, no, next week's going to be amazing. We're, we're literally going to baptize more people in one day than we ever have in the history of our church. And so it's going to be amazing. If you haven't, let us know. Just check your Connect card. Drop that in the bucket um, at the end or drop it at the Connect tent. And uh, it's going to be a cool day. Can't wait. You guys excited about that? And, f- and then, of course, Easter, Resurrection Nocturne, the night before Easter, and then Easter Sunday. So grab some postcards, share with your friends this week. You see it on social media. Hey, the beginning of this week, I, I was kind of planning on going somewhere. I've got one week, and then we're doing Storytellers on Easter. And I, I kind of felt something a few weeks ago that I felt like might be where I want to go today. And then uh, Monday, I just woke up, and God was like, nope, you're, you're going here. You're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. You're going to talk about communion, because next Thursday is known as Monday Thursday in just the church calendar, and it's a day where we, we really think about what, what Jesus was going through at the day that he, he broke bread and established the new covenant, and when he washed the disciples' feet. So that's commonly when we, we think about that, just before he would be arrested, tried, crucified, and uh, resurrected on the third day. And so I'm just going to spend some time talking about this. Uh, I, I went to college, many of you know, for a music business, and God switched my major while I was there, just really rechanneled my heart right towards the local church and just passion for the local church. So I took all these classes you'd expect, like theology and ministry, of uh, philosophy of ministry, and this one class I took was called Ministry of Worship. And one of the assignments that we had in Ministry of Worship um, class was to, to go to a church that was different than what we were raised in or what we would be used to and just experience it and like observe it and take notes and then write a paper on it. So I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition, so nothing's like more different than that than a Catholic church. So I went to a Catholic church and said, okay, I'll, I'll check this out. And um, so we, we sat through it, and it was, it was a Catholic service, um, <laughs> as you'd expect. 
And then uh, it came time for communion, and because it's the first time that I've kind of experienced communion as they did, um, I was with a buddy of mine who was also in my same class, and we got super uncomfortable because, like, you don't just get to go take communion if you're in the Catholic Church. Like, you have to go through catechism, you have to be confirmed, and then after, you know, after that, then you can take communion if you're part of that local body. Well, I, I obviously wasn't, and so the pastor, like, or, or the priest, like, said that very nicely, like, you can't take communion. And so I was kind of like, okay, like, wait, I'm, I'm a believer, like, whatever. Um, I can't take communion. That's kind of weird. Um, but uh, they, 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 you know, that's their kind of policies or whatever. And so uh, then uh, I got super uncomfortable and was just kind of, you ever been uncomfortable in church and you don't know what to do with it? Anybody you know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, I just want to get out of here as fast as possible. Well, that's what I felt like um, some of you, like, that's every week for you. I don't know. <laughs> we make you really, like, like, fellowship time. Like, oh, like, let's get out of here real quick. I'm really uncomfortable. Um, but I was really uncomfortable. So me and my buddy, like, just found, like, a side door, and we darted off in this hallway. And it was, like, a super, like, old school, like, gothic church, you know, style. And so we found ourselves in this long, dark, gothic hallway, and we were, like, running, kind of scurrying, because we didn't want to get caught by, like, a nun who's going to, like, hit us or something. We didn't know. We don't know. <laughs> and so we found ourselves right outside the priest's quarters, and it says it, like, right there, priest's quarters. And we're like, this is amazing. We kind of have, like, a huge adrenaline rush, and, like, we're running, like, through this, this gothic church. And um, we kind of felt for a second like we were in National Treasure or Da Vinci Code or something. And we're just like, yeah, how do we get out of here? You know, we didn't know what was going on. And so that was kind of just something that was so uh, out there. And, and God's really called our, our body to be um, a unifying work in the body of Christ. A unifying work in the body of Christ. And, and I don't know that I say this enough and, and describe what that means. And because what that looks like is it's a little bit messy. It's a little bit messy and it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I, but I think the results are going to be biblical and God-honoring, if you can hear me, because we all come from these different backgrounds. Some of you were raised Catholic, some of you were raised Pentecostal or Baptist or Lutheran or Anglican. You've come from, or, or no, many of you, no church background at all, and like that's all, it, it's all great like that we have this, this diversity in this place, but there ought to be unity. And so I just thought it's important. We do this every single week. We come to this table, and, and I, I think we, we do an okay job at just trying to describe it in bite-sized pizza pieces, but sometimes when you do that over a long time, like, there's just confusion, and you don't get everything, and so I, I hope to just do a little bit of an exhaustive teaching, because this is the most full expression of the gospel that we have. It is the most, it's the most potent and powerful expression of the gospel and what Jesus did prophetically before he was crucified. Before the new covenant began, he established it with this meal. And so I want to talk to you, really these five things, and I'm going to do my best to keep a good pace because I just want to slow down and really, really go deep and you'll be here all day and you probably love it, but probably not that much. So uh, I don't want you to be like the, the thing in Acts where the guy, like Paul, preaches all night long, and then the guy's sitting in the window, and he falls out and dies. Did you guys know about that? Pastor got preaching so long that dude literally fell out dead. You know, it was like, that was rough. And so he went down, and he ended up surviving. They ended up, you know, reviving him. Praise God. But uh, it's none, of, none of that today, everybody, all right? All right, so let's talk about, I want to talk to you about these five kind of characteristics the symbolism, the depth, the meaning, whatever you want to call it, these five things right here about the new covenant and the gospel and what this says about the gospel, the body of Christ, his sacrifice, his daily presence, and his return. So let's, let's talk these things. Let's start with the new covenant. 
To understand the new, you have to understand the old. And for many of you, I think we've probably got about 40% of you that are in growth groups right now, which is awesome. Uh, and then some others that are involved in some other groups we've got going. But our growth groups, we're walking through the book of Romans. And like the first four chapters are pretty heavy with looking to the old. Like, like referring to the old covenant, referring to the law. And so many of you have been walking through this pretty heavy. But Jesus in this comes to establish a new covenant. So it, it shows up, all, the, the Lord's Supper shows up in all three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of the synoptic gospels. It's, it's referenced in uh, the Gospel of John, but in a different way. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so he makes it a more definitive statement, and John is looking at it more thematically. So if we, if we look at the Luke account today, that's where I want to spend most of our time. And we'll jump over to 1 Corinthians 11 for just, just a couple minutes. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 22. Let's begin with, I think, verse 14 and just go to verse 20 here. When the hour came, Jesus and his uh, apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So you see that it's the new covenant. He's establishing the new. But to understand the new, you, you kind of got to understand the old. And they're celebrating Passover, and you'll notice that he, he takes a swig a couple of times. And it's not, it's not the same cup. In Passover, there's actually four cups so that's another sermon for another day because it's really deep. But it, it's not, he's not even, you know, necessarily it's not the same cup. There's four cups that are actually taken in, in Passover. And what he's referring to is and why they sit at the Passover meal is obviously that goes back to a time in which God spared the people of Israel. And they had to take blood and put it over their do- doorpost. And God spared them and he passed over them. That's where that comes from. But even further back, God has always made covenant. He's always made relationship and a promise. A contract would be the most legal term, but covenant is kind of the spiritual term in which there's an agreement. I mean, think about the covenant with Noah in Genesis 9, and that was what? To not flood the earth, and he gave a sign for it, right? The rainbow. And then in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham, he made a covenant that he would make a great, all the nations would come from him, and he gave him what? The covenant, the, the, the sign of circumcision, right? And then we have this Passover, and the people up until this time, the people of Israel have been sacrificing animals. It had to be a pure, spotless animal, free of blemish, right? For us, the reference is no sin, Right, No blemish, no, nothing there. That's the, the imagery and that's the symbolism here. It's a blemish-free, spotless animal. And that animal would be sacrificed and the blood poured out on the altar. And once a year, they would go in, the high priest only, only the high priest would go into what's known in the inner courts as the Holy of Holies. And that this high priest, they would actually chain up his leg in case the presence of God was so strong that it would kill him. Like, it was so strong, and, and so they could just yank him out. Like, that's in deep in worship. Like, that, it, was, it was heavy. It was thick in there. They were worried that he wouldn't come out. 
that, that's such an honor and respect and fear of God there is ultimately, I think, what's being communicated. But this high priest would sacrifice and put blood on, um, on, the, right, on the Ark of the Covenant, right in, in, um, on, on top of it, as a sacrifice for the repentance of sins. But that Hebrews 1 actually, excuse me, Hebrews 10.1 actually talks about this in a little bit, and it says that it really, that wasn't enough. It, it didn't fulfill it, because uh, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to a, a, um, abolish the old. I came to fulfill the law blemish-free, the high priest, the son of God. He was spotless lamb laid out. Go to the Hebrews 10 passage. I think it's right before there. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. They're not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. It, it wasn't enough. It was only through the blood of Jesus. And what if we go back, to, uh, if we look over to the 1 Corinthians passage, 11 verse 26, we see this right here. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have this opportunity to proclaim the gospel when we come. Proclaim that what Jesus did as the spotless lamb was enough. Every single time. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration of the gospel that salvation's not through my works in the old it's through salvation, through faith in the grace of God that made a way through Jesus Christ. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? So it's an old covenant, and it reveals the gospel, and communion's a declaration of the Christ's death, resurrection, and future return of salvation through faith in grace. And that's what we declare when we come up here. It's such a full expression of the gospel, and it reminds us and brings us back to this place. Um, I have a couple of questions, probably four or five questions throughout the sermon that I just want to tap the brakes and explain because I've gotten these over the three or four years that we've been taking communion every single week since we started. Get questions because we come from all these different kind of walks and, and people have questions and that's why we create DNA sessions is some space for you to ask those questions and for us to be on the same page if we're going to be a unifying body, work in the body of Christ then we ought to be unified all on the same page. One of those questions I get from those that have come from a Lutheran background or a Catholic background, even a Greek Orthodox background, some Methodist, uh, is do I, like, what about the sign of the cross? Like, should I do the sign of the cross? I grew up doing that. When, when we come to the, the Lord's table, is that something I, I should continue? Let me give you a little history on that. The, the, the sign of the cross comes from about 200 AD that Tertullian was actually talking about, who's an early church father. And he said that that, that actually, they, one of his quotes is like, we wear out our foreheads because they didn't make the cross on their chest. They made it over their forehead, kind of um, similar to Ash Wednesday, that type of thing. He's like, we wear out, like we're going to make indentions. He's like, we do that so much with every kind of everything that, that's going on uh, or every time we do something. And what it is, it's a gesture. So for those of you that have kind of looked from the outside um, onto that, like, what, what's that about? It's a, it's a gesture, and the church has historically encouraged gestures and kind of made our own gestures. The scriptures have a lot of gestures. If you read through the Psalms, they're latent with gestures. The raising of hands, the singing of the voices, the clapping of hands, the bowing down, the kneeling down, all of these are, are gestures that we see throughout the scriptures. So the sign of the cross, it's just another gesture. It's not necessarily a biblical one because they, they started it a little bit after 
And the actual over the body actually came a few years, uh, a few hundred years after that, probably around the year 400 or 300 AD, something like that. Um, and so it, it wasn't necessarily biblical. It's not a, a non-biblical. It doesn't go. But here's what I, I would say to you. For me, if my heart should be most consistent and most longing to do the, the gestures that are, are said in Scripture, if other gestures could be, if like taking a walk to worship the Lord on a daily basis helps you, I consider that a gesture. Like when I prepare for my sermon and I just want to be deeply in the presence of God, I just walk around and pace like crazy. I have to go in another room because I'm uncomfortable with anybody else being there and I make them super nervous too. So for me, that's, that's actually a gesture that helps me focus. Like in your job, there's probably some gestures you do that help you focus and think. And so I, I think there, are, there is some openness. I think we could get a little bit wild and off tangent if we begin to just kind of make up all these different gestures. But I think there's some commonly used ones that, that uh, aren't a negative thing. They're traditional. They're a tradition thing. So just for those of you that have had that question or at some point even not growing up with it, outside looking in, wondering, Hopefully that just gives you a, a little more information. Another question that I get that I want to pause for right here is, um, how do you know that everyone's a believer, right? Because it's like, this is obviously something that's for believers, unity in Christ, declaration of the gospel. How do you know that everybody's coming up? Like that, That's why the Catholics, like, you, you have to go through our catechism and confirmation um, and, and all of that, which is, it's classes and stuff. I mean, do anyone, does anyone that actually does a class, do they actually know the indication of that person's heart? Like, no, not necessarily. Like, like some of you in here that were raised in any type of uh, environment like that, you probably went through it. it was most, many times it's just through the motions, like mom dragging you to, to Sunday school or something. Um, so how do we know if everyone's a believer? We, we don't. We absolutely do not. I'm not God. I'm a shepherd. I'm not the gatekeeper. And what I, how I, I look at this is we go by someone's declaration of faith. Like even when someone's baptized, how, how do I know that they've truly given their life to Christ? I don't, I don't. I go off of the confession of their lips. And I think where we get ourselves in trouble as the body of Christ is we judge off what we see. But like we, this whole thing's about faith and like you can't judge it all by what you see. You know, and so many times we judge it off of the fruit. But think about when you first said yes to Christ, when you first realized what the gospel was in your life and you came, did you have much fruit in your life? No. <laughs> you just got planted. Like we planted some seeds months ago and we're just now starting to see she just got to pull the spinach and make a salad this week. It takes time for fruit to come. And so don't judge on that. And we may not see fruit for years on those type of um, in some scenarios, sometimes very quickly. Uh, it's God who causes it to grow. It's us who submit our hearts. And we, ju- we just don't know, and there's really, really no way to do that other than we take it as an affirmation of their faith when they take a step. And for some people, think about how beautiful this is. The first confession of they make, they make in their heart, hearing the gospel every single week when we come to this table. The first affirmation is standing up out of their seat and coming and be like, yep, this is my people. I'm a child of God. Like I, I, That's just really beautiful to me. It's really beautiful as we realize that we don't have to run out of side hall because we're not worthy, but we're invited to the table. That Jesus Christ has made a way for us to come to the table. So there, there's a couple of questions. We'll get into a couple more. Um, and so, But the, this gospel, this new covenant, uh, it's a proclamation of his death until he returns. Let's talk about the body of Christ. Uh, this is a powerful one. In ancient Mediterranean society, 
meals were of vital importance. They, they spoke volumes about who you were because you ate meals with people that were your family or people of the same social class or people that you had shared ideals with. In this kind of hotly debated culture that we find ourselves, if someone shares an article of something you don't agree with, right, you immediately make judgments about them, right? Right? If someone were to post a picture that they were eating dinner with the governor or the mayor, you would immediately think, oh, snap, they have moved up. <laughs> Look at them, their fancy dinner, you know? We would immediately make this judgment. And so in early ancient Mediterranean society, that's how it was. Like when you sat down at a meal, you kind of declared something about, oh, they moved up to the fancy table. They moved up to the rich folks. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's kind of the declaration there. And I want to read 1 Corinthians 11 that I, I said we jumped to. And I want to read kind of, I think like 10 verses or something here that get us into some issues that are going on in the Corinthian church that you may say that's not really applicable, but I think it's very applicable. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. He's like, hey, I'll give you props where you deserve it. Right now, you don't deserve it. <laughs> I got no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show that you have God's approval. There's got to be some diversity to show that, it's, it's, uh, that you have God's approval, but there's unity in that. So then, uh, when you come together, and this word come together shows up five times between verse 17 and 34. Five times. I'll talk more about that in a second. For when you are eating, um, uh, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, exclusive, little click over here. As a result, one person remains hungry, another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating uh, those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he uh, was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new... In the, uh, this is... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's continue on a few more verses. So then, we already read 26 that we proclaim the gospel um, when we take it. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Uh, everyone uh, ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. I think there's this clear issue that's, that's beyond the normal, like what's going on. First of all, if you read up above this, that there's some, a lot of cultural things that are unique to the area of Corinth. For instance, women wore head coverings. Women's, women were not allowed to speak in public, which was way more common than it was uncommon at that time. But if you were to compare it to an area like Greece, women didn't have to wear head coverings. If you compare it to America, women don't have to wear head coverings. So there's a lot of cultural things that he's leaning into. But this aspect is not, when we talk about the body of Christ and when we talk about unity in the body of Christ, I think traditionally we've looked at this as if it's a very individual experience. 
It's a very intimate experience because, frankly, it is. But Jesus didn't take them aside one at a time and be like, this is my body that's broken for you. No, they did it at a meal, an annual gathering of Passover. And he, he, he said, like, this is my body. And he, I think he's talking about more than his physical body. I think he's referencing some aspects that talk about the body of Christ here. Because Paul leads in with all these different things about what's going on behind closed doors. And that they're, they're doing this in a quote-unquote unworthy manner. They're just doing it out of religion, and they're doing it in their own cliques. The body of Christ is not about cliques. Like, it's not about your little group over here. And honestly, it's, it's hard, like, when we start developing real friendships that are flourishing. And there, there's going to be all, all different stuff. But when it comes to being here in this space, like, we better be unified in the body of Christ. And like unity is not going to happen on accident, but I think this is a great opportunity for us every week to realize that our fellowship, our deepest fellowship, doesn't happen in the 60-second minute mingle that we create every single week. The true fellowship happens at the Lord's feet when it's all unified and we all come up under the Lordship of Jesus. That's, that's real fellowship. That's real unity. And it, unity takes intentionality. It, it, it can't happen on, it, it won't happen on accident. Like, the devil is delighted in your gossip. Like, he's delighted when you start talking trash about the person across the room. When you start talking trash about that leader that works in that area or start talking trash about your pastor. The devil loves it because it's breaking down unity. You know who doesn't love it? God, you know what Jesus prayed? A couple times we hear Jesus praying directly to the Father for the disciples. He said, my prayer for them is that they would be one as you and I are one. And all the world would know by their love for one another. And frankly, some of us, we just need to take a deep breath and just think through. Hear ourselves talk sometimes when we're just running somebody down. And maybe that's at work. I think it's applicable at work too. You're not going to get, I said something uh, a little while back, I can't believe people think they're going to get a raise when they talk bad about their bosses. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, we're undermining some of the things we hope to do, sometimes by our very actions. And so I think there's so much in here when it comes to the body of Christ and just focusing our minds, focusing our minds. So that's really my encouragement for you. This word that comes together, that shows up, is this word come together. And it's the Greek word sunerkomai. shows up five times, and it literally means come together. And for some of us in the room, our coming together has been about sitting in this, sitting in a row, being in a physical property. But that doesn't make you a body, a part of the body of Christ. What makes you a part of the body of Christ is what Jesus did for you, that you're in the family of God. Being present in this room doesn't. It helps the practical of what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ, but it doesn't make you a part of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so it's actually in coming and acknowledging this and bringing, so it's a posture of the heart in which we realize, man, this is my family. It's not about my clique, and we don't come in with selfish motives, and we live in such a society where we got our own things going on. Me and, like, sometimes we get mad because we've been hurt in the church, and if you haven't been in, hurt in the church, like, just wait. Like, you will. You will. Because the church is flawed. Like our purity as a spotless bride is only through Jesus Christ. 
And then we'll work hard to, to walk in holiness, and we'll work hard to be a good example of him. But it, it happened because of what Jesus did. And so we, we got to come together. And many times we isolate ourselves in the body of Christ. We, it's such an intimate experience, and we don't let anybody else in. But when we do, we open ourselves up to division. We open ourselves up to selfishness. And especially when we've been hurt, and, and like I, that, it's a process. Healing's a process, and we just want to walk with you during that process, okay? We're not trying to rush anybody's process, but just let God work on you in that. Be a part. Come together spiritually, not just physically. Um, and I, I just kind of end with this, like focus on the coming together. Focus on the coming together as a family with the right spirit. I think that's just how to summarize that whole thing. Like think about the, the unity that happens and think about doing it in the right spirit, not as a clique, but as an entire family um, of God. Uh, one question I want to get into, and I've gotten this one a couple times, and I just thought it would be an interesting one to talk about. Um, why do you use non-alcoholic drinks? Some of you have thought about that. Many traditions um, use, use wine as they did in the Bible. You know, it's Peshkal Prud. Is, you know, what, what's the deal um, behind that? And here's what, what there's, there's several reasons. Um, First, it, first of all, we live in the South. We live in the deep South. Uh, us using um, grape juice is not an indictment on the use of alcohol in moderation that the scriptures give allowance to, okay? It's, it's the scriptures. That's not my plan. That's God's plan. Scriptures also teach that just because uh, we walk in freedom because everything is permissible, permissible doesn't mean everything is beneficial, that's what the, the scripture teaches, so it, it's not necessarily beneficial to, to just walk in freedom anytime we want, and so we'll talk more about that in a second. Did you know that Jacksonville is the number seven city in the nation when it comes to alcoholism? Number seven. Ladies, number three. Women alcoholics in this city are number three. And before I saw that as a statistic, I witnessed it with my own eyes, and Taryn and I made an observation in our first like six to nine months here. We're like, whoa, these gals like to drink around here. Like, and then we saw the statistic on it. We're like, yep, makes sense to me. Um, so in not just, it's, not, it's not a matter of being in the South and just being appropriate for culture. It's a matter, this is a real issue in our city. It's a real issue in our city. And I'm not making an indictment on anybody else that does it any other way. I'm just going to tell you why we do what we do. Because I get this question from time to time, or some of you have thought it. In a city where this is such an issue... We're in this room, there's probably a number of people that it's a current issue, it's a past issue, it's a, it's a real temptation that's ruined your life at some point, or you're on a path to ruining your life, okay? And I, as a pastor, based on Romans chapter 14 that talks about the strong and the weak, when I, I don't purposefully put a stumbling block in front of somebody, and that I will willingly go out of my way to not eat certain foods, to not drink certain things, to not post certain things on Facebook if I think that someone might be offended by it or it might cause them to stumble. I will willingly sacrifice my own quote-unquote privileges and freedoms that the Bible allows me for. I'll sacrifice those things for other people, right? I'll sacrifice showing off my muffin top with a post on Facebook. I was going to say abs, but it would just be a lie, so I'll... (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice that privilege because there's nothing not biblical like necessarily about posting on Facebook because Facebook wasn't around. But 
Um, I'll do that just in case somebody is like attracted, ladies are in here attracted to a muffin top, you know what I mean? You're just really, really into that, you know? I'll, I'll purposely sacrifice that for the sake of the body, for the unity in the body. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's, that's why we do what we do. I'm not willingly going to invite everybody in here if I know there's five people that are on the edge uh, or have um, really been through alcoholism. Or there's a 13-year-old in here, and, and they're, they're like, hey, I want to get a snack. You know what I mean? And they're just constantly doing it. So, um, so that, that's that. I, I won't dive too deep into that. It's a real issue in our city, and that's why we do what we do. Number three, ladies, let's, come on. Let's, <laughs> let's have another conversation there. Um, I'm losing my place here. But anyway, so that's why we do, if you've ever asked that question. Um, let's let's kind of move through these last three a, a little bit faster uh, as I've taken time up here. Uh, the next one is the sacrifice. It talks about the past. If you go back to the text in Luke chapter 22, he says, do this in remembrance of me. It shows up in every single like, account. Do this in remembrance of me. And I don't know about you, my, my life has gotten increasingly more busy. It hasn't really slowed down. I try to simplify. I have to try to simplify as much as possible. It's very busy. And so right now, my phone is not syncing my calendar, which is driving me nuts. But so I, I'm hoping if I miss an appointment with anybody in the next week, like I'm working on it. <laughs> um, so, but I need those reminders to make sure I stay on track, to make sure I'm where I need to be. And Jesus did this as something that is so normal, that's such a part of our life, meals. Like bread and wine at that time was the everyday drink. Like it was, it was normal. Like, like we eat, we, we never not eat most of the time. You know, this is such a normal thing. And that's why I think some of like the prayers there, giving thanks at the prayers that, where a lot of that began. But to do this in remembrance, it's so that we won't forget. Some asked us, why do you do it every week? So we won't forget. Aren't you worried about, you know, like being religious? Yeah, that's why we talk about it every time. And like, don't just do this at a routine. We talk about it literally every week. Don't do this at a routine. Like, make sure you're coming in the right spirit. Make sure you're coming. This table reminds us to be humble. It reminds us of what Jesus did, to be grateful for what he did. And it always keep his sacrifice fresh on his mind. It speaks to think of the past. And for me, it always brings back Memories of how broken I was, of how completely worthless I felt, and how completely, reje- like the, just the, the constant depression, the constant rejection I felt in my spirit. It brings me back to some of those dark places, and it gets me all the more grateful for what Jesus did, that he showed me acceptance, and he showed me his approval, though I did not deserve it because of my faith in Jesus Christ. May it brings me back there. And so maybe for a long time, like you've, just, you've taken this a thousand times and you, you, you haven't thought about where you came from, be reminded of that each time you come. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. It speaks to the past. We forget all the time just the busyness of life. And I love it. I love that we do it every week. That on a series that we Following a series that we do a financial series, we're going to baptize more people than we ever have in life for our church. And I think it's just a matter of just continually proclaiming the gospel. Continually, the highlight every day is that it's for someone, that's the first time they've made an affirmation that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Like, that's amazing to me. That's amazing, and, and we're going to continue to do it.
So the sacrifice looks at the past. I think it speaks, it's so tangible, it's so physical what he's asking us to do. And some got off on this weird theology that this is actually, it turns in, it's called transubstantiation, like where it turns into the body of Christ and we literally are like chewing on the bones of Jesus. It's like this weird theology stuff. Um, And the blood of Christ, we're actually drinking the blood of Christ. It just transforms spiritually, right? I don't know. Um, We'll go on to much of a tangent. But there's this tangible essence of what we touch, that we can feel, like, if we can just kind of put ourselves symbolically in, in doing that, many times we just think about just the eating or we don't even think about it, but when we really grapple with that man, that Jesus is present, I, I, I want to point out something in this passage that we probably skip, we would skip over a thousand times reading this. Luke chapter 22, I think it's verse 14 or 15, 15, I have eagerly desired, eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. I know a lot of the guys at the table, this is probably just another Passover. I know to Judas, it was probably just something he had to do. But Jesus said, I have eagerly desired. I've fervently desired. If you show up to someone's house for, for a dinner, and they just kind of open the door, and maybe you've got a great relationship, or you, you know, you just open the door, and it, they just kind of turn their back on you, and just kind of do their own thing. You're like, yeah, I kind of felt welcome. But when, when you walk in, and, and they're like, hey, we just want to let you know how much we've been excited about this all week long. Like, this is the highlight of our week, to get to have this meal with you. Like, that just, for me, it's like, oh man, that makes me feel special. <laughs> And Jesus is like slowing down. He's like, guys, this is, this is a big deal for me. Like, I'm really excited to be present with you right now because I, I know I'm getting ready to go. He, he does this the Thursday before the weekend there. They don't break bread. And he eagerly desires. And so be reminded that God longs to be present, his spirit present with you every single day. And just to be aware of that and not to, not to lose sight of his presence on a daily basis. He said, I'll be with you until the end of age, just to be reminded of his daily presence. And then lastly, the return of Christ. The return of Christ. Let's look at this text in Luke chapter 22. Shows up several times, shows up in every single account. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It speaks to the future, the return of Christ, that he will return. He will return. When and what all that will look like is up for healthy conversation. And Jesus said, you won't know the time of the season. He said, but I want you to be ready. Revelation gives this account in John's revelation here. John 19, I think 19, or 7 to 8, I'm sorry. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Talking about the church. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Listen to that. Was given her. Jesus made you clean. The, he has given you the fine linen. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. It's him that's perfecting it through us. Jesus constantly uses this reference of the wedding of the lamb. The constant imagery of God, or Jesus being the groom and the the church being the bride of Christ. And there's just such in-depth thing. There's multiple times where in his parables he talks about the great banquet 
the great wedding feast. He's explaining this. As we, were, we started with the idea of the new covenant, right, the gospel, and God gave me these two images at the beginning of this week that I just felt, I'm like, thank you, God, for those, because they're, they help me. They help me in just thinking about this. And the first was when it comes to a new covenant and doing this on a regular basis, think of a husband and wife that every time they get together with their friends, they renew their vows. Some of us are like, that's a little bit weird. But God kind of reminded me, that's what you do with this covenant. You, you come and just you're reminded. Every time I, I um, have the opportunity to, to do a wedding for someone, I, I say, I, it's my prayer, it's our hope that you would be reminded, those that are married here, that you'd be reminded of your commitment to one another to walk in humility and patience. Just as they are making those, that covenant, that vow for the first time, I pray that you'd be reminded of it. So it was the first image of a couple renewing their vows. And the last image was about the return of Christ. God gave me this image that this, the Lord's Supper could be likened to the child of a military, uh, a military child in which their father has been, or mother has been deployed. And they were given their parents shirt that smells like them and reminds them of the good times they've had, reminds them that they'll be back. They're deployed now, and we don't know when mom, we don't know when dad's coming back, but we just, every night that child will just go to sleep, hanging onto that shirt, hoping and praying and, and longing for the time. I don't know about you, but when I see one of those military videos, when a kid goes running to mom or dad, like I just get a little bit weepy. <laughs> and that image of, man, we just cling to this because it reminds us that we're not alone. He's made a way and then he will return. He'll return for us. And so take heart and take hope that what you're going through right now, if your body's wasting away, our spirit can be renewed day by day. If you feel like you're isolated, if you feel like you're walking life alone, know that he's brought you into the family of God. If you find yourself broken this morning, if you find yourself beat up by the rejection of man, it reminds you that he receives you just as you are, not by what you've done, but what Jesus Christ did for you.